Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. Hank is on spring break, so this week I'm your host. I'm Sari Riley, and joining me this week, as always, is our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. And taking my place on the science couch is Tangents editorial assistant and co-host of the podcast Tiny Matters, Deboki Chakravarti. Hello. Did you think of a question for us, Sari? I did think of a question for you. This is, I, I thought of it really with Deboki in mind because Ooh. I've been wanting to ask her this question just at, as part of our friendship. So, Okay. You can also yeah, answer it, though. I'm excited. Nobody ever asks me any questions. That's fine. <laughs> no, it's for both of you. So if a casting director came up to you and was like, we would like you on our reality TV show, what show would it have to be for you to say yes immediately? I think it would be tough. I do think it would have to be Amazing Race. I think Amazing Race is like the right combination of super fun, challenging, and like not geared towards embarrassing yourself. I mean, I've watched people embarrass themselves on the show, but it's not like like I would love the idea of being on a Real Housewives show, but only if no one ever sees it. (laughs) But Amazing Race, I think like, you know, the goal is not for me to be the subject of humiliation necessarily. If I if I am, it is purely through my own doing. So I think I'd have to go with Amazing Race. Would you do it with your husband? Would he be your race partner? 
Yeah, when we watch, we definitely do the like, okay, you're in charge of this, like this task, and I'm in charge of that task. That's an important part of being on The Amazing Race is knowing who you'd be partnered with. I guess there was one season where they were paired up yeah. with strangers, but still, you got to know. Yeah, I, I could not do it with a stranger. <laughs> like, I could not <laughs> I could not just be like, yeah, we're I'm going to trust this whole thing with a stranger. It's, it would be bad. I don't really watch reality shows, so oh, I'm going to be a little useless. So I was going to say Amazing Race, too, because mm. I think I like I could do puzzles, I think. And yeah. Rachel could tell me where we're supposed to go. I don't actually know what they do on Amazing Race. I assume there's someone with a map and someone solving puzzles. Is that close? That is a lot of it. Yeah. That is no, that's pretty it. good. Yeah. There's some that like physical challenges. Me. Sometimes you have to like climb a rock wall or ramp. Yeah. Oh, like OK. That. And sometimes you have to learn a dance, too. Like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot. Sari, what would okay. you what would you do? That's also my answer. This has become the Amazing Race fan <laughs> Wouldn't cast. this be a good season? Okay, listen to yeah. it. What channel does this come on? CBS. CBS. Listen to us. Deboki and her husband, Sari, and I assume Sylvia. I don't oh, know yeah. actually who you'd pick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sam and Rachel, Hank and his wife, Hank and John. All of us, different teams on one season of The Amazing Race. Podcasters season. It would be incredible. They yeah. call it the even more Amazing Race. <laughs> <laughs> so every week here on Tangents, we get together and talk about The Amazing Race. But <laughs> actually, we try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic, which happens sometimes, but sometimes we devolve into friendship conversations. Today and every day, our panelists are playing for glory and Sari Bucks. I got the (laughs) currency now, which I'll be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, either Deboki or Sam will be crowned the winner. And now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with a traditional science poem. This week, from me, I'm not stopping talking for a while. (laughs) (laughs) A gentle breeze, a grazing touch, a warm cat you love so much. Sensing friction, cold or hot, these nerves you've got sure do a lot. Inputs of light or hums or sweet, they're in your nose and in your feet. Stretching far from spine to skin, fibers small and strong and thin. Back and forth they do relay what your surroundings have to say. Sensing joy and sensing stress, a guess for your brain to process. Without them all, I guess I fear we'd all just be some goo. No thinking and no feeling and no knowing when to poo. So even with the pain of grief or when you skin your knee, I'm real glad to have these neurons interwoven into me. Wow. (laughs) You're smart and creative. (laughs) (laughs) So So the topic this week is nerves. And just just to give my, my vocal cords a break for a second, Sam, what are nerves? <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I should know what they are because I hypothetically researched a bunch of stuff about nerves. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there's something called neurons. They're the cells that make up the nervous system it's running all through your body. And there's little there's little guys that poke out and they're like, what's going on? Sometimes a hot thing touches them and they go, hey, brain, there's a hot thing down here. Sometimes a soft thing touches them and they go, hey, brain, there's a soft thing. Sometimes it's on your tongue and it's like, ooh, yummy or ooh, nasty. But there's a little guy with a little wire that goes to your brain. (laughs) And that's what the nerve is. I think you guys should do this every week. In place of Sari giving the definition, this was captivating, especially the, the performance art. I mean, unfortunately, people can't see 
the hand motions that accompanied your definition. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, there, there were pokey fingers coming out of the forehead. Uh, it was yeah. it was incredible. It was your interpretive dance of I'm a neuron. And then, yeah. yeah. Is that correct? You know, you're not that far off. So neurons, like you said, are considered nerve cells and like the building blocks of the nervous system. From what I can find, a nerve, like when we say like a nerve gets activated or a nerve transmits uh, chemical or electrical signals, it seems like we're mostly referring to like the peripheral nervous system. So like your central nervous system is your brain and your spine. Um, and your peripheral nervous system is the stuff that extends out to like your legs and your fingers and your toes. So the really long nerves that start, like the cell bodies. So in your your interpretive dance, your head is mm-hmm. is by the spine, but then all the little feelers stick out and go down your limbs and are like long winding filaments and fibers that stretch out to relay information back to your central nervous system. Is that part of your brain? It's part, they're not like brain cells, but they they talk to your brain. They like communicate okay. information to your brain. Okay. So yes, in that the information gets relayed to your brain, but no, as in your brain is not a big web, like a jellyfish. Mm. Okay. Your brain is pretty centralized and people say like your brain is is whatever is in your skull, that goo. People are always saying that. People are always saying (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I guess there are different kinds of nerves. This is where it gets like a little wishy-washy in the way that we don't, like our brain is us thinking about ourselves, our nerves. (laughs) There are millions of them across our bodies. There are a lot of like small bundles of fibers and they sense so many different things. So like you said, they can sense hot and cold. They can sense different pressures, like a soft touch versus a like a hard touch or a punch, <laughs> you know, the hard touches. But they can also sense like electricity conductivity. So like how sweaty you are can change how your nervous system interacts with the outside world. Huh. Or like you have your optic nerve, which helps with light. Like you have special nerves within different facial features that do particular senses. And so hmm. To my knowledge or to my understanding and trying to like research the definition of nerves, we haven't nailed down all the different categories of nerves and we have sort of like buckets of them of like (laughs) these ones help with senses and these ones help with controlling blood pressure and digestion and these ones help with muscles. So like if you think they help move your finger muscles or whatever, but we don't necessarily know all the different types within that. Well, where does this word nerves come from? So it comes from Latin nervus, N-E-R-V-U-S, not O-U-S, which means sinew or tendon or cord or like a string. So it's Mm -hmm. more about the shape of the thing. So they they probably dissected animals and or humans and were like, man, there's strings in here. Let's call them nerves. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You say so, (laughs) Plato. And it seems like because we had such a rudimentary understanding, like we're just digging through these flush sacks and trying to figure out what was going on. They used nerve to describe both a nerve, like a a neuron, like we would describe in the modern sense, or like a cluster of neurons, as Mm -hmm. well as to mean a tendon. But those are like also sinewy and like stretchy and stringy. There was like confusion between nerves and tendons. And then eventually... I think we decided to 
differentiate somehow. I don't know how tendon got its word, but nerve one, for some reason, it was like, it's the stringiest thing. So (laughs) you got to be called nerve. What's weird is that I can't really pin down where the adjective nervous came from, like meaning scared or anxious, because in the 1600s, nervous and nerve actually meant like the the brave sense of it. Like that guy's got some nerve. It meant like strength or vigor or force because nerves were these things that were holding your body together and like giving you energy and part of life and like was really like interrelated to courage. Then at some point, the bad sense of like being like cheeky or also being like anxious or hysterical Mm-hmm. came from the late 1800s, so it's more recent than that. Mm. First, like, the the discovery of nerves sounds, like, just so, like, you're, like, yeah, you're going through the flesh sack, and you're, like, oh, look at these strings. But you're also talking about, like, how we haven't discovered all the nerves yet. And I, I mean, it's, I feel like that's, like, one of the things that's so weird about the human body because there's just, like, so many things inside of it. And so, like, you, and somehow it feels like there should be a finite number of strings, which means we should have found them all. But I guess not. Like, that's not how it works. And they're so small that it's like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you get much smaller than this. Yeah. I don't know how to, like, magnify these or understand what they do. And then we spend all this time in school trying to learn, like, oh, well, how do we develop tests around bathing these tissues in other molecules to guess at what they do? Because we can't really see. Yeah, uh, but we can like kind of guess. Mm-hmm. Hey, I just don't worry about it, and I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah. So all that chatter about nerves, I we like kind of know what they are, but kind of don't, and that's going to be the theme of this episode because it's the Great. theme of tangents, mm-hmm. which means it's time to just move on anyway to the quiz portion of the show. This week, because nerves are related to human brains, which we barely understand, and electricity, which some people understand, but I am unfortunately not one of them, I figured it'd be good to stick with the basics and do an old-fashioned truth or fail. So I will present you with three sciencey sounding statements about nerves, but two of them are nerve-wracking garbage lies, and one of them <laughs> is a true fact. And you will have to use your brains or gut feelings or whatever to decide which one is real. Number one is... Pain is a complicated sensation because it has to do with nerves carrying signals to your brain, which then interprets those signals as ouch, like we were talking about. So easing pain, especially in diseases like arthritis that can have a combination of inflamed tissues and nerve damage that cause more stabbing kinds of pain, can be tricky. In ancient Greece, though, they treated arthritic pain by putting electric rays, like the big flat fish, on the achy area until the low to medium level voltage turned it numb. When their nerves regained feeling and function again, they would be hopefully cured, or at least feeling a little better. Number two is, back in the 1700s, when scientists were a little more like mad scientists and learning about electricity, they needed to find ways to test whether there was actually an electrical current around. And what better way to do that than using animal nerves? An early device was called the mouse galvanoscope, which was basically a severed mouse tail with the nerve endings exposed that twitched when it was connected to something actively electrical with voltage. It was a really sensitive, quick and easy measurement device, though kind of gross. And number three is, also in the fast and loose days of the 1800s, when scientists were touting the benefits of using electricity on biological things without a lot of concern for safety, the most talked about example is electroconvulsive therapy 
or other voltages applied to brains. But some people were experimenting with other kinds of nerve endings, specifically the facial nerves associated with taste. While electric current, like licking a battery, can produce a metallic or sour taste, some people were experimenting with zapping tongues in different locations to produce other flavors, like sweet or salty. But the nerve damage that resulted from this novelty meant that these experiments died out before they could become a widespread fad. So the three facts are, one, ancient Greeks use electric rays to soothe arthritic pain. Two, scientists in the 1700s used mouse tails as galvanoscopes to check for electricity. Or three, people in the 1800s tried to induce flavors on the tongue with electricity. I just don't think if you take an electric ray out of the water, I feel like they don't work anymore. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but I think they need, they need to be surrounded by the water to really make you hurt or to really be able to feel it at all. That's my theory. I don't know enough about how I would try to use electric rays to soothe arthritic pain, but I think you might be right. Maybe. Mm. Trust me. I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, the second one, that sounds reasonable to me. There's mouse tails all over the place. Wait, so, okay, so I don't understand. They're checking for electricity. Like, what does that mean? Like, they're looking, they're hunting it down. Like, they're they're trying to find the electricity that is <laughs> invisible to them. So they're not waving around the mouse tails, just being like, is there electricity over here? Uh, yeah. They were a little bit more methodical than that. It was more like if they were making a battery or making a circuit or something, hmm. like instead of, like, you know, those potato batteries or those lemon batteries, okay. you put a light bulb in to see if it's completing mm -hmm. a circuit and if there's electricity. Okay. Instead of that, they would put a mouse tail okay. and be like, it's wiggling. So there's electricity here. Whatever I'm building is working. Or I see. I can, like, there's something measurable going on here. I just feel like a mouse tail is already so wiggly. <laughs> <laughs> like, because, like, I get a frog leg. Like, you could use a frog leg and it would be like, you know, it would be twitchy. That that feels like a good confirmation. I'm not sure I feel like a, a mouse tail would be like a good enough. Gosh, well, so, okay, enough. maybe she just subbed out mouse tail for frog leg. Yeah. Kind of against the spirit of the game. We'll see if that's, <laughs> if that's the case, though. Just swapping one word. Come on. And the last one just seems yeah. like. <sighs> I just feel like if this worked, we would still be doing it. If we if we could induce flavors on the tongue with electricity, I don't think nerve damage would be stopping anybody. I actually think there is there is like a thing that has been invented that you can lick and it makes different flavors. It's just like a reusable lollipop is what they like. Mm. You can't get one, I don't think. But I think this is something that's been made. Yeah. So Sari confirmed full of shit on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but we've we've just yeah. called her out on every single one. Presumably. Oh, one no, of I think number two. I think number two is the real one. Okay, I'm going to go with... You're just a naysayer on that one. That's true. I'm a naysayer on everyone. Um, but that's because I feel like the secret game within this game is always Sari and I trying to see who can get who to overthink the most. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this is just one of the few times where we get to do it. To, like, she gets to do it to my face. I'm going to go I'm gonna go with the third one. I am going to go with the flavors one just because I like it. I like the idea of it. You're out of your mind. I might be. But I'm not overthinking it. I am just going with, I like this. I like the idea of it. And you're both wrong. Oh, one. So number three, the one that Boki chose, I kind of made it up. I also, like, I made it up and then I Googled it to be like, is there anything like this? Yeah. Um, I found something from... 2014 that was some sort of design challenge across universities for the Stanford Center on Longevity, which was 
an odd premise of a design competition anyway. But there was an invention from the National University of Singapore called Taste Plus, which mm. like electrically stimulated taste buds to mm. just enhance taste as far as I could tell. But that that's like the only thing I could find and they didn't follow up on that research at all. And all I could find with like taste buds or taste related nerves and flavor was like licking batteries because that's the question everyone asks like why does the battery i'm licking taste weird <laughs> um, <laughs> so i also thought it would sounded cool which is why i made it up <laughs> number two it was a frog leg devoki sussed it out uh yeah. very good wait so the galvanoscope is a weird real thing but it's just with the frog legs yeah it was with a frog leg and like trying to identify sources of electricity that were strong enough to make it twitch. And it was specifically because of the sciatic nerve. So you've got this nerve that goes from your lower region of your spine down your leg. And it's a pretty major conduit of information across your body. Like if you've heard of sciatica, that's like a condition like nerve damage to the sciatic nerve and can like cause pain and whatnot. And so... It was like particularly easy to rip a leg off a frog and then like peel back the skin a little bit and then have that nerve just sticking out. Whereas Mm. like a mouse tail, there are nerves in it, but there isn't like a major nerve running down it. Mm -hmm. So you really nailed me on that lie. Yeah, too floppy. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, number one is surprisingly the true one. There's a whole paper on it, how Greek old dudes... We're just like, we got to eliminate pain. How are we going to do that? Using the torpedo fish, a.k.a. the electric ray. And I couldn't tell if they like took it out of water or just like kept it in like a pool of water, but they would put it under people's feet or under people's hand or over people's arms and then wait till they got numb and just like hoped that they would cure pain because they kind of <laughs> didn't understand electricity, but kind of knew that like something was going on with it and like knew there was some sort of like energy current going on. And so they used it to try and cure arthritic pain, to try and cure headaches, to try and cure like gout or random things. They were just like, oh, oh you're suffering? Slap an electric fish huh. on it and then maybe it'll cure you and like your nervous system ailments. Well, huh. that was a delightfully devious. Yeah. I'm so glad. I Yeah, I I always feel like when I get got, Deboki's chuckling, like <laughs> in the distance listening. Yes. So it's very I do exciting. feel like I got got on a technicality. I mean, you had to, I, the floppiness was just such a glaring issue. <laughs> I don't see an issue with the floppiness. You're really hung up on the floppiness, but I think it would be fine. I think you stick it on, the mouse tail goes, doing. it goes, it goes unfloppy. Then you know. I see. That's very cartoon logic. Mouse tail is floppy. Circuit is sloppy. Mm-hmm. Mouse tail is straight. Circuit is great. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with that, we're going to take a short break. And then the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? 
And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. But Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) Use some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand, the only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora... Ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts? I feel like honey is this way where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea and Mm -hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Hey everybody, Sam here. Before we hop back into the episode, I wanted to give a quick little disclaimer. If Deboki's upcoming fact-off fact sounds strangely familiar to you, that's because we have covered it on a previous episode. We keep our facts secret from each other, and usually our guests don't write fact-off facts, so this one just kind of slipped through the cracks. We apologize for this, but if you have heard this fact before, maybe Deboki will give you a fresh new perspective on it, and you'll still learn something. Okay, thanks. Bye. 
welcome back. Deboki and Sam are tied 0-0 because of my devious lies that may or may not have been fair. Who knows? <laughs> I think they were. But that means we have to get ready for the fact off. Our panelists have both brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow my mind. It's my turn to judge. <laughs> and after they've presented their facts, I will judge them and award Sari Bucks any way I see fit. And to decide who goes first, I have a trivia question. Glaucoma, most commonly primary open angle glaucoma, is the leading cause of irreversible blindness in the world. A study published in March 2022 found that the average person without glaucoma has a 97 micrometer thick retinal nerve fiber layer. People with primary open angle glaucoma had thinner retinal nerve fiber layers. So how many micrometers thick were they on average? But it's less than 97 point whatever. Yeah. Got it. 93. I'm going to go with 45. Deboki wins. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the answer is 65.2. How much did she win by? Uh, eight. So, oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's, like, quite a bit thinner, which feels weird yeah. to me. And with your great victory, Deboki, would you like to go first or would you want Sam to go first? I'll go first. So, in general, nerves are, you know, kind of fragile. They're not super flexible. Uh, if you stretch them too much, you might damage some of the fibers inside the nerve. You, you know, that's how you get a stretched nerve injury. So, there's a lot there that, you know, you want to be protective of when you when it comes to nerves. And so for our bodies, you know, that that's how they do. They make them not super flexible so you can't overstretch them much. So all of that is why researchers studying whales in Iceland were very surprised when they grabbed one of the whale nerves and found that it was actually very, very stretchy. So this researcher grabbed this three-foot-long nerve and found that it could stretch to twice its original length and that when you let it go, it would actually spring back to its original size, kind of like a bungee cord. And the nerve was so stretchy that the scientists studying it thought it was actually a blood vessel at first. But when they cut it open, they realized that the insides were full of nerve fibers instead. So the nerve came from the jaw of a fin whale, which is a member of the Rourke wall whale family. I think that's how you say it. Rourke wall. That's what I found when I looked it up. So these whales are gigantic. These are things like blue whales, humpback whales. So they're these huge whales that to eat will actually do this thing called lunge feeding. So they open their mouths wide and they lunge forward very, very quickly to take in a big gulp of water that they then filter through for food. And so as part of that process, their mouths expand kind of like a balloon to take in a huge volume of water. One of the things I found said that some whales will take in a volume of water that is like their equivalent in size. So there's a lot of expanding that you have to do to make that happen. Um, and as a result, their tongue and jaw and mouth blubber all have to be pretty flexible to make that all you know come together and to make them able to inflate like a, a giant balloon full of water. So that's why having a super stretchy nerve can help because if you are, you know, if you need to be super flexible in this way, it helps if your nerves can stretch along with the rest of your, your weird stretchy mouth. So when the researchers looked inside the nerves, they found that the nerve fiber themselves are not actually super stretchy. These were just kind of long and curled up inside the nerve. Like to, in my mind, I kind of see it as like a little bundle of string, but the outer layer of the nerve is made up of stretchy materials like the protein elastin. So when you pull on 
on the nerve, that outer layer stretches while the fibers inside kind of unfurl into their full length. Um, so that's how those nerves are able to do all that stretching. And my favorite part of the story is that basically the reason that they found this is because th that scientist was just like, picking up this nerve and was basically just like, hey, look at this. And was like, stretch. Like, he just picked up this, like, <laughs> giant whale nerve that they had lying around. It's like, ah, oh, this thing is just stretching. Look at this thing I can do. And then they were all like, huh, should it be doing that, I guess? Or like, is that right? And then they, that's that's how you find things out, I guess. Do they know anything about, like, the evolution of these? It's like, oh, they, is it kind of like flexibility where you have to stretch a little bit at a time before <laughs> you get to ballooning twice your volume. The fact that they found this was like super unique within vertebrates. So I don't think there's enough to be able to say just based on like, hey, we found this happening to be able to piece together the evolution of it. Uh, but yeah, I would love to know. Because <laughs> like, especially like, like you know, like these are giant whales. Like these are some of the, like the biggest animals on earth. Like, and this probably is part of how they got that way. Uh, but I don't know how you, how you evolve that. <laughs> Do all the yeah. like does all the inside stretch too, or is it just like the outside? It's just the outside. It's work. just the inside is really long. So it's able to like as it's stretching out, all of that is able to take up that space inside the nerve and like kind of unfurl like that. Like like if you just have like a little clump of string and then you stretch it all out and it unfurls, I think that's like what's going on inside the nerves. Hmm. Okay, Sam, what do you got? The human ear. It's chock full of nerves, baby. When sound hits our ear, things vibrate and liquid sloshes around in our cochlea, which in turn activates tens of thousands of nerve endings in the cochlea that decode those vibrations into signals that get sent into our brains, thus the sound is heard and interpreted by the canny human mind. And this is true of basically all vertebrates and even some arthropods. But there are lots of invertebrates out there, your mollusks, your worms, your bugs, that do not have visible ears. So the common idea is that these creatures can't hear in a way that we would recognize as hearing. They can like detect vibrations from the ground, sure, but they don't have ears, so they don't have any of the parts to interpret vibration as sound, right? Well, sea elegans are a little wormy, a very, very little wormy. They're like microscopic wormies. Uh, and they have way less nerves than a human, like 302 to our 7 trillion or however many we have, something like that. But despite that, they exhibit almost all the same senses that we have. They can detect light. They can touch stuff. They can taste stuff. They have proprioception, aka like they can tell their own body position in space. Uh, but until recently, it was assumed that they, like all other invertebrate species, could not hear I mean, they clearly don't have ears, so how could they hear? However, a paper published in September 2022 may have discovered that they're hiding a little hearing secret. So scientists discovered that when a tone is played towards sea elegans, even in situations where they weren't on a surface that they could respond to surface vibrations through, the worms still would move away from that sound. Upon further inspection, they found that the sound waves vibrated fluid that was inside of the body of C. elegans, and that that vibrating fluid activated auditory nerves that covered it, their skin. So C. elegans don't need all that sophisticated ear stuff because they are, in practice, a living cochlea. And if this turns out to be the case, it could open the possibility that there are lots of other wise earless creatures that are using parts of their bodies as cochlea. So you better stop saying all that mean stuff about clams right in front of them because they might be able to hear you. <laughs> That's very weird. So they're they're just an ear. They're, they're so, just an ear they're guy. They're so wiggly. They're a little ear guy. <laughs> they're kind of an ear and a tongue and an eyeball 
just squished up in a little guy. Mm-hmm. Do you know if it's, it sounds like it's because they're so like squishy and fl- like the fluid inside is what makes yeah. them, are other animals ears that aren't so like aqueous or we- I think they think it's just squishy guys. Mm-hmm. That was my understanding of it, but I'm not, a, I don't know. You love C. elegans, right? You keep trying to make me do an episode about them. That's true. I do keep trying. Okay, so if listeners, if this makes it into the final cut, please request a C. elegans episode because I feel like they're pretty neat, pretty nifty. They've been involved in a lot of scientific research, but if we don't end up ever doing a C. elegans episode, you can watch Journey to the Microcosmos, our nematode episode. We talk about C. elegans and why they're such incredible model organisms. What Sam has done is manipulated me into supporting his fact <laughs> as the winner because he knows <laughs> that really what I want is for people to respect C. elegans and appreciate this worm and all it's contributed to our scientific knowledge. But- it's just a little worm. It's nothing to me. Oh, Well, (laughs) Sam. (laughs) But I still think my stretchy whale nerves are cooler for today. (laughs) I I think I gotta go with Sam. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just really charmed by these little ears floating around and the fact that they're just... Yeah, maybe they can hear you right now and they're saying, thank you. Thank you, yeah. (laughs) And just like, it, it really speaks to like the interconnectedness of nerves. Like, we don't know what's going on. All of our nerves just used to sense things and then they've gradually gotten more specific and now we can go, ouch, or like, that's soft and nice. So I'm just going to give two Siri Bucks to Sam, one to Devoke you because I liked both your facts. So you both have some currency. Thank you for your labor. (laughs) Here's your payment. (laughs) It is Sari's Bucks to give however she sees fit. And if I get one, then I get one, Sam. So with that dramatic middle to the episode, I was about to say ending, <laughs> it's time to ask the science couch, which is still me and Devoki, <laughs> where we ask listener questions to our couch of finely honed scientific minds. Oisis on Discord asks, when your arm or your leg goes to sleep and you get the pins and needles paresthesia feeling, why does it feel like pins and needles? Well, I'm standing Hank, but I did the research, so maybe <laughs> yeah. I feel like the, at the beginning of the episode when you were like, Deboki is replacing me on the science couch, that was misleading. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am really just here <laughs> listening to you. <laughs> well, if you're comfortable, do you want to take a stab at it using your vague yeah. knowledge of the nervous system and biology why you get pins and needles? Either I feel like it's not a deliberate thing. It's just like there's so much sensation immediately going to it that your body's kind of overwhelmed or it's a way of your body being like, oh, hey, like this thing is not has not been moving or has been like cut off from circulation. And like, like we're going to like jam it awake with all of these signals just to be like, you know, move it. That's interesting. I just figured it was like the panic default state of nerves Mm -hmm. just to be like, I can't feel anything. So this is the signal I will send you like television static. I I really like the like crisis mode theory of <laughs> yeah. of it. I don't, I haven't read anything about it. Like most of what I've read is what Sam also said and you said you like you both said and agreed on, which is that it's it's nerve irritation and then they either can't send signals at all because they're like pinched in a weird way or like something is blocking them. They're not getting enough blood, they're not getting enough nutrients and so they can't do their normal signaling or they're just kind of firing randomly because they can kind of get out a little a little signal, but 
it's not anything coordinated. So instead of being in like a resting state, like most of the time, I would say your skin is is kind of like passively receiving input from the environment, but you're not like feeling everything all the time. You're just kind of hanging out. But if you put pressure in a weird way or like sit with your arm at a weird angle, then it might fall asleep because you're putting pressure on a nerve. And then as soon as you stop putting pressure, then your nerve's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I'm waking back up and I don't know what to do with all this. Like, I'm I'm just going to like start firing. Yeah. So sometimes when your legs fall asleep, it's like hard to walk or most of the time. Is that just because proprioception's all screwy with it or? That's my guess is that it causes like, so it's like a roadblock and then your nerves need some time to recover to function normally. Like there's Mm. this period of time where they are just not working and either not sending signals or extra signals. And so that needs that readjustment period to start signaling normally and sending your brain the information it needs besides the television static that Mm -hmm. you're getting at that given time. That's just kind of like, blah, recalibrating. Do we know anything about like what affects how long the feeling is there for? I think a lot of the time when your limb falls asleep, it's like you squeeze the nerve or like the arteries that are bringing blood or the capillaries that are bringing blood. So usually if you're like most people experience this and it falling asleep, then it's just a short amount of time, like within seconds or minutes for like that supply of oxygen and glucose to just get back and and reactivate the cells. But non-reversible or permanent kind of paresthesia, then it may never return or it like I think it's part of that we don't understand neurons, really, where you can't necessarily regrow when you have nerve damage. So I think there's a a fuzzy line between your cells were just kind of deprived and then they can bounce back from that and you're going to feel tingly and bad for a second. And like you did something very bad to your body or your body like shut down for some reason. And now your, your nerves don't work hmm. good anymore. So that was a half answer. Well, if no, if modern science doesn't know, we can't expect you to know everything. <laughs> and if you want to ask the science couch and have our half-formed answers, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we'll tweet out the topics for upcoming episodes every week, or join the SciShowTangents Patreon and ask us on Discord. Sam and I hang out in there sometimes. Thank you to Rith on Discord, at Ooblil. And everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. Thank you, Devoki, for joining us. Is there anything that you want to plug? Yeah, so I am on Twitter at, at okidoki underscore boki. Um, I sometimes post there. Um, but also, if you want to listen to me on another podcast, you can listen to me on Tiny Matters, where me and my co-host Sam Jones, we uh, we talk about yeah the small things that matter. Um, we've had episodes about coral reefs, about HIV, uh, typhoid, yeah, just whatever it is that we been finding interesting and want to learn more about so you can find more of me there if you like this show and you want to help us out it's really easy to do that first you can go to patreon.com slash scishow tangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and bonus episodes second leave us a review wherever you listen it's super helpful and it helps us know what you think about the show or what topics we should cover if we get a bunch of c elegans maybe we'll do that (laughs) and finally if you want to show your love for scishow tangents you can just Tell people people about us. us. And thank all you listeners for joining us this week. I have been Sari Riley. I've been Sam Schultz. And I'm Deboki Chakravarti. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Seth 
Glixman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Paola Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistants are Deboki Chakravarty and Emma Douster. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and the very stinky Hank Green. <laughs> and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing, the sciatic nerve, as we were talking about before, is not just a butt nerve. It's your longest and thickest nerve traveling from your lower back through your hips and butt and down your legs. So a severed sciatic nerve can be pretty detrimental to walking. To help regenerate severed sciatic nerves in rats, a Brazilian research group added a natural latex membrane that bridged the empty space in the nerve give a little latex about eight weeks in the rat's butt, and they have the nerve to do better on the treadmill than rats who got the best alternative transplant. They got stretchy butts. They just need to implant a whale nerve in there, and then they'll be super stretchy. I feel like the whale nerves are going to like be like 10 times the size of the rat. But yeah, <laughs> they'll figure it out. Well, yeah, we'll get there eventually. squeeze it in. Yeah, we can 3D print anything at this point. Yeah, <laughs> we need rats that are better at running, though. It's important.